Last week, I started talking about rising above average. Rising above average. Rising above average. So this will be part two. And as part of the conversations we had about rising above average last week, I spoke about the fact that you and I need to rise above average. The world is full of a lot of mediocres in every field of endeavor. You have mediocres. All you need to do, every other thing being equal, all you need to do is to improve your own level of excellence, then you can rise above average and become outstanding. Well, let's do it this way. How many of you would really like to be outstanding in your field, in whatever you're doing? Awesome. It's important for you to know that that is the will of God concerning you. God does not want you to be a mediocre. He doesn't want you to be average. God doesn't want you to be straddled and lost in the middle somewhere along the line. God wants you to stand out or outstanding. He wants you to be excellent. Concerning Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, the Bible tells us that he distinguished himself or he was outstanding. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Daniel was one of the three governors. Okay? And verse 3 tells us, Daniel distinguished himself above. He distinguished himself, come on now, above. Now, to be one of the three governors is already a big deal. But what did Daniel do? He distinguished himself above. And the Bible tells us why. I like it because the Bible didn't leave us guessing. The Bible says the reason is because and this thing called an excellent spirit or, you know, was in him. I pray for you that you will also be distinguished in your field of endeavor. I really pray for you that you will be the industry standard. In the book of Isaiah chapter 51, verse 2 and 3, Isaiah 51, God is recommending, God is recommending somebody to us. God said, look unto Abraham. Look unto what? Abraham. God said, study Abraham and the wife of Abraham, Sarah, who bore you. Then God said, I want you to study him because there is something about the life of Abraham I want you to see. Let me backtrack a little bit. Please stay with me this afternoon. Please stay with me if you're watching from home. Stay with me, please. God. There are three very powerful things you need to know about God. When you are dealing with God, reading your Bible, in your relationship with God. Number one, you need to know the person of God. The person. Person. The nature of God. The character of God. So, this man here, his name is David. Okay? So, I know what David can do. I know he can dance very well. I know he's smart academically. I know all of that. But do I really know his person in terms of character? 
I have not yet known that. I know about him, but because I've not had time to really sit down and fellowship with him, there's certain things I might not know very well about him. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Now, he, on the other hand, knows David very well. Why? The brothers. <laughs> Meaning, they've spent a lot of time together. There are certain things that the person of God you need to know. That's the first thing. Anyway, the second thing you need to know about God is the principles of God. God is a God of principles. God is not irrational. God is a God of what? So if you don't respect principles, you don't respect God. If you don't respect principles, you're not respecting God. Okay? If you don't love principles, then you don't love God. Because God is the God of principles. He's no respecter of persons, but whosoever walks righteousness in any nation is acceptable by God. It is the principles of God that guarantees that God will not be partial. The principles of God is what guarantees God will not be partial to anybody. The third thing you need to know about God is the power of God. The power of God. So you have the person of God, you have the principles of God, and you have the what? Alright, let's take it again. Number one, you have the what? Person of God. Number two? And number three? Now, let's, give, let's look at an example, for example. For now, salvation. It is not the principles of God that saved us. It is the person of God that saved us. Jesus Christ came here on earth. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved. Okay? Is that right? That is the story of salvation, the person of God. However, I want to get a job. I want to stay on my job and so on and so forth. I need to start learning some principles. I'm in a relationship. I need to start learning some principles that govern relationship to understand certain things. Okay? Um, um, I want to be able to buy a house, uh, get to a point in my life whereby I'm financially sufficient. Okay? Because that's, the Bible promises that. Okay? That you may have sufficiency in all things and abound in every good work. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Put it on the screen so that people can see it for themselves that is in the scripture. It was, no, no, verse 8, sorry. Verse 8. Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards who? You. Who is you? Me. Okay? So that you, you, always having all sufficiency in how many things? This second Corinthians chapter 9, in the original context, the whole chapter 9, is speaking in context about finances. And it says he wants you to have all sufficiency in all things, always. Double, triple emphasis. Okay? So I'm not able to, I'm able to, I'm good for the month of January, but I'm not sure, good for the month of February, but I'm not really sure if I'll be good for the month of March. That's not the perfect will of God. So God is a God of principles. We learn the principles, we are aligned with the principles, it's going to work for everybody all the time, at all times. 
then God is a God of power. Okay? We can't have a form of godliness and deny the power. We need Christianity without the power, without the supernatural. It's just another set of rules. Just another set of rules of do's and don'ts. We need to see the demonstration of power of God. First, first Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Let's start from verse 1. Let's start from verse 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come to you with the excellence or elegance of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Keep going, please. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. Keep going. I was with you in weakness, fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with the persuasive or oratorial words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit, come on now, and of why? Paul, why are you doing that? Verse 5 tells us why. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but should be in the what? You have to believe that there is another reality beyond this three-dimensional world. There is another reality that is not visible to the natural eyes. We call it the unseen, the Bible calls it the unseen world. Unseen. You have to believe that because it is true. Because the Bible says that. There is another reality beyond this present reality. That is why a Christian can say, I know there is no solution in this reality. But when I cross the line into another reality, the unseen world, I can bring a solution from the unseen world back into the seen, visible world and have a solution. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? That's how somebody can have an incurable disease in the body, terminal cancer. And you will say, oh, let's pray for the person. What you're really doing when you're trying to pray for the person, because in this three-dimensional world, the person has terminal cancer, been to the hospital, they've done what they can do, and we have to give tremendous respect and salute to the whole health team, medical team from the bottom all the way to the very top because they are amazing people. Can we appreciate the health medical team in place? They are just amazing people. Anybody you know that works on the medical team, health team, whoever they are, PSW, all the way to the consultants in the hospital specialists, we have to always appreciate them. Those guys are doing an incredible job, I'm telling you. Incredible job. So, they've done their best, tested, done all the chemotherapy, radiation, hormonal therapy, all of that. And the person, somewhat sorry, they spread. So they said, well, sorry, we can't do anything. Then they send the person home, spend the next two weeks to four weeks, spend it with your family as much as possible, and on your way out. But then, suddenly, members of the family of the person says, no, we don't want to lose this person now. But there is no solution anymore in this three-dimensional world. But that does not mean there is no solution. It just means you have to go outside of this three-dimensional world and cross the line into the fourth dimension or the spirit world to bring a solution and bring that solution into the three-dimensional world for the person to be healed. Does this make sense to you now? 
The way we cross that line, we call it faith. That crossing of the line from this three-dimensional world into the fourth-dimensional world, into the spirit realm, to obtain a solution is called what? What is it called? So I'm looking for a job here. I came out of McMaster University. You know what? And I've been looking for a job for like three, four months. I've done some extra training, right? Done some things. I'm trying to like change my field. And I've looked for a job and looked for a job. I'm a couple of interviews here and there, but nothing yet is really working out. Doors are not opening. It's been six months now. And they're telling me, you know, I'm reading some statistics, Pastor, and they're telling me that the unemployment rate, I'm just saying right now. So, okay, this is not right now, right now, unemployment. I'm just trying to make an illustration. So let's say, they're telling us that unemployment rate is 8%, you know, among younger losses, fresh graduates, unemployment rate is about 14%. But among immigrants, young adults, fresh graduates, unemployment rate is 27%. Among, you know, visible minority. So pastor kind of like, it looks like I'm one of those 25% that just a little bit unlucky. That is in the three-dimensional world. There is always a job for you in the fourth dimensional world. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. In the three-dimensional world, the unemployment rate can be, unemployment rate can be 7%, 5%, 6%, 12%, 25%. In the fourth dimensional world, unemployment rate is zero. Everybody is engaged in productive employment. So you can always step beyond the line, but to step beyond the line is called faith. Is anybody still with me now? When you step beyond that line by faith, you are stepping in and you are connecting with something called the power of God. This power of God is what brought about creation in the first instance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is what brought about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. Darkness was on the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the waters. And in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. And what happens? And God saw that the light was good. So why did God say something and it suddenly happened? Jeremiah 51, 15. Jeremiah 51, 15. How did he make the earth? Look at it now. He made the earth, come on. You see that? So power is what changed what was on the earth that God did not like. Power is what changed it. So there is this dimension of God that you need to know. So what's the first dimension of God you need to know? What's the second dimension you need to know? And what's the third dimension? So you can't just relate with only one dimension of God. So all throughout Ignite Church, I'll be teaching you from one of these three dimensions constantly. When you know these three dimensions and you put them together, you have a full sum Christian experience. Does this make sense to you now? You have a full sum Christian experience. You'll be able to run on principles. You will know the person of Jesus. So when you're worshiping, we don't worship the principles. 
we don't worship the power. We're worshiping the person of Jesus Christ. You're worshiping the person. You know the person. You know God cannot lie. For God is not a man that he should lie. You know the person. Then you also know the power. That's why we're doing these programs we're doing on Fridays because we want to experience the power. We want to see the power. I've seen things in my life that doctors have called incurable. I respect doctors a lot. I have a lot of respect for them. They try to do their best, but they work within the three-dimensional world. Things that they call incurable. I saw somebody today, today, in church today, that could not work. Could not work. Could not work. By the time he's received ministration at the end of service, it was, it could not, it, it's not even sitting down anymore. It's, it, could, it was walking up and down. The power of God has hit him. Power of God. Very important. True life story just happened this morning. So I've seen this. I know what I'm talking about. And we need to see more of this. Today I want to teach you about principle. The principle, because if you're going to rise above average, one of the key things that will make you rise above average is you must have a dream. Somebody say a dream. Listen. You need to dream again. If life has knocked you down, if situations have not worked out the way, the way they ought to work out, please listen carefully. You are not a failure until you listen to strange voices telling you you should not try again. It's only when you accept that there's no point in trying, that's when you are a failure. Uh, I don't want to ask you this question, but I feel I should ask you. <laughs> I, I, I'm just kind of like, hoping that there might be one honest person here that will tell me. Is there, is there anybody here by chance, but maybe slightest of chances, that wrote an exam at one time, didn't pass that exam, and happened to do it again and now passed it? Anybody here? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate that. So, so did you put up your hand? <laughs> okay. We're going to honest people. Anybody here? Put up? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. I've been there. I wrote, wrote the exam before. I, it didn't work out. Not that I didn't work out. The exam did not work out. You understand? The paper did not cooperate with what I wanted to do. So it didn't work out. Uh, for some reason, like, you know, this is what students will say. That for some reason, the lecturers. <laughs> They were. So how was the exam? Said, I don't know, Pastor. For some reason, they still had enough hand. Well, the reason is what you wrote down. Is evidence is on the paper. But you know, anyway, for some reason, it just didn't work out. But that does not mean I didn't work out in life. You understand? Yeah, because do not rejoice over me, my enemies. For when I fall, I shall, I will not sit down there. So now, anyway, the best way to learn principles in the Bible. Listen to me very carefully is to learn about people that succeeded in that particular area. I'm going to repeat this statement. The best way to learn about principles, in the, to learn principles in the Bible, is to learn, to study the lives of people that succeeded in that specific area. So, if you want to learn about somebody that has been through tragedy, 
What are the principles I need to apply? I've been through grief. I've been through tragedy. I've been through a lot of losses in my life. How can I rebuild my life? Then you pick a Bible and you study the book of Ruth. And you go through the story of a woman called Ruth and see how she lost her father-in-law, lost her husband, okay, lost her brother-in-law, lost many things, then went to a foreign land where she had no hope, working in the factory. The Bible says she was gleaning at the edges, doing odd jobs, and ended up, ended up being very wealthy and ended up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. How did she do it? When you go through her story, one thing that you stand out is commitment to God. She said, your God shall be my God. Your people shall be my people. Are you following now? So when we want to learn about people that had a dream, that saw something, and they were able to achieve, one of the people God said we should look at in the Bible, recommended by God. So this is recommended reading now. If you want to take this particular class of people of succeeding, look at it again. Isaiah 51 verse 2 and 3. Let's look at it. Isaiah 51 verse 2 and 3. Look at it now. Look to who? Your father, Sarah, who are born. I called him alone. And what happened to him? Blessed him. What was the result? Increased him. So if you want to look at somebody, you want to enjoy increase in your career, increase in your life, you want to see some level of increase, which will lead in verse 3, what would that lead to? It will lead to some comfort. Okay? It will lead to joy and gladness being found in your life. Then who did the Bible say you should look up to? Look to Abraham. Now, it didn't say you should copy everything Abraham did, but he's saying there are certain principles that Abraham practiced, and God is saying, I don't want to repeat that to you. I revealed it to Abraham. Abraham practiced it, and it worked. It worked. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So if you want to learn it, go to Abraham's school of increase. Register in the Abraham school of increase and learn it in the Abraham school of increase. Then you will learn it. So shall we go to the Abraham school of increase today? Should we go to the Abraham school of increase? So let's go to the Abraham school of increase. Uh, let's get there. Genesis chapter 13. Let's learn one of those principles today that lead, helps you to rise above average and see increase whether it's in your career, relationship, or, or not. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter what? 13. Verse 13, 14, 15. Genesis 13, 14, 15. Where are we now? Which school are we in now? The school of Abraham what? We're in the Abraham school of increase. Praise God. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, sinful against the Lord. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, when did the Lord say something to Abram? What was the significant event that happened that marked the time God said something to Abraham, separation. When who separated from him? 
when Lot separated from him, that's the first principle of increase. The first principle of increase is you cannot increase until you are pruned. This principle is repeated in the book of John chapter 15. Hear me, hear me clearly. In John chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, let's look at it. John, in the New Testament, I'm the true vine, Father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, it takes away, and every, every branch, every, that bears fruit, what happens to it? Prunes. You know what prunes mean? Prune means, right? Cut back a little bit. Why does it prune it? That it may bear so that's the first principle of increase in your career in any area. You must be ready for the pruning. Certain things have to be separated from you. All right? Okay, Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. Let's go back. Then God said to him, the second principle, what's the second principle? Lift up your eyes from where you are. Not from where you want to be. From where you are. Lift up your eyes there and look and then 15, all of the land which you see, I will give you. That's another principle. God can't give you beyond what you see. So I really want to talk about these two principles today. The separation, okay, and the look, lift up your eyes. Because there are principles that will help you to rise above average. So quickly, let's talk about the separation. Friends, listen very carefully to me. God loves you the way you are. Hear me carefully. God loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Does that make sense to you? God loves you a lot. No matter who you are, no matter how you are, no matter what you have done, God loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves you the way you are. He makes an investment in you because he believes in your future. But guess what? He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Why? Because the way you are, the way I am, is not sufficient to be able to get to the place he wants me to get to. He has to separate certain things from me for me to be ready to get to where I'm going. All right. So let's use a common, um, a recent example. Recently, the big deal now is billionaires are going to space to buy McDonald's. Somebody just decided, you know what, I want to just quickly go to space house. In about 15 minutes, I'll be back. Jumps into a capsule, goes to space, 15 minutes, they're back. Now, it's a big deal. But do you know that to be an astronaut, to actually go to space, there are certain things you have to leave behind here on Earth. Is that not true? You have to change certain things. If not, it will be too risky for you. It will be too risky for you. Because when you get to space, real space now, when you get to space, you are going to experience something called weightlessness. So there are certain things 
that you just have to jettison here. Let me tell you two things that you should be watchful. You should think about, pray about, and ask God to lead you. Number one, and this is in Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. Be careful about friends that will dilute your commitment to God. Friends that will weaken your commitment to God. You will have to um, cautiously, prayerfully, respectfully, you know, downsize on that relationship. Any relationship, friendship that will weaken your commitment to God, you have to re-evaluate that relationship. If you don't, you will be trading your glorious God-given future for the sake of that friend. I know you have great friends, but personally, I don't think any friend no matter how great and wonderful they are, is what the same weight as God. Do you have friends that are better than God? <laughs> you know, you've got to be careful about that. Friends, any friend that will what? Weaken or dilute your commitment to God, which means, practical times, weaken your prayer life, Weaken your desire to read the word of God. Weaken your desire to want to serve God and so on. Weaken your desire to want to show commitment to God through your lifestyle. Be careful about that. The second thing God wants to take from you and I, listen carefully, this one is a lot tough, tougher sometimes, are going to be habits that are hindering your relationship with God. Habits you've had. Habits you've had over many, many, many years sometimes. But it's stopping your relationship with God. And the way you will know that it's an issue with you is when somebody is talking to you about it, you are very defensive. Habits that when you are involved in, you don't feel like praying. Hmm. You don't feel like reading your Bible anymore. You don't feel like doing God anymore. You feel like, mm, well, you know, and when somebody's talking about you, you get very defensive. What, what is that about? What, what is that about? You know, be careful. God wants to, you know, look at it now. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Lay aside what? Come on. Did you see that? So he said, we lay aside the weight. We lay aside the sin. That means the sin, listen carefully, is different from the weight. Some things are not sinful, but they are heavy. They're not sinful, but they're heavy. You know how, another one, one, one word for that sometimes? Netflix. Amazon Prime. Apple TV. Sometimes it's not like the programs are not sinful necessarily in themselves, but it's what? It's heavy. It's heavy on your time allocation. Heavy on your mind. So sometimes if you want to be the best 
You have to start learning this whole concept of self-discipline. Okay? Are you following my, my narrative now? So you have to lay aside the weight. What do you do? You lay it aside. Why should I lay it aside? It tells you why. So that you can run the race that is set before you. Now, you can't run my race. I can't run your race. There is a race set before you. You have to run yours. Now, so we are all, four of us are all athletes representing Canada at the Summer Olympics in Paris. Praise God. Don't worry, even if it's just an aspiration, a dream for me. I just, I just like the idea. Praise God. That I'm an Olympian. Praise God. <laughs> so, we're all representing Canada in the Olympics, Summer Olympics in Paris. All right, 2024. Okay? And I'm excited. We're all doing that. It happens that this man, his own field in the athletics is short put. You know short put, right? This little strong iron and you have to throw this guy, his own is javelin. Javelin. And he, he does the pole vault. So you can see that every one of them, as they're going to the field, they're carrying something. He's taking the javelin. This guy is carrying some <laughs> short put. And he's taking the pole vault, right? The pole. Now, but my own, my own field is a sprint, 100 meters. But I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to my coach, but every one of them is picking up something. I want to take something too. I don't want to go just anyhow. Well, how come he's carrying the short put? He's carrying the javelin. He's taking the pole. How can I can't take something? He says, no, but it's so that you can run the race set before you, not the race set before him. I have something. So you might see some of your friends, they are able to carry Netflix. But that's the race set before them. It's not the race set before. You don't, the plan of God for your own life, you might not, that might not be, that weight might be too much for you. So if you carry short put, javelin, pole vault, and you want to run 100 meters, even if you are using boat, you're not going to win. Because you're already carrying weight. While it is legal for somebody else to carry that, for you, you can't carry it. Which means, the Bible says, don't compare yourselves with other people. Be careful. Understand there is a race set before you. In your own conscience, in your heart of heart, how do you feel? What is the Holy Spirit ministering to you in your own heart? Because you see your friend, you say, oh, but my friend, is a, is, I feel he's a Christian too. When he sings, he sings very well. And I know that he smokes, he's on weed, he takes alcohol, and so on and so forth. Does that mean you should? Does that mean you should? You know, when I was growing up, I had friends like that. I had a guy that was, we were all living together. He went one day, he went to go and stay with his girlfriend for about a week and a half. I don't have to do that. Okay? That doesn't mean you should do that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Evil communication can corrupt good habits. Is anybody still with me? So, separation. Friends that will weaken your commitment. Habits that will weaken your commitments also. So then the next principle is, he said, lift, lift up your eyes. But don't just lift up your eyes anyhow. Lift up your eyes from where you are. Genesis 13, 14. Genesis 13, 14. 
Lift up your eyes. Come on now. From the place where you are. This tells me automatically that no matter where you are, no matter how far down you are, God is saying, if you are going to, listen carefully to what I'm about to say now because it's very powerful. No matter how bad the situation is, God is saying, if you ever want it to change, the first part of your life that must travel are your eyes. If your eyes don't travel, your leg can go there. Your eyes must be lifted. You must see with your eyes before your legs will be activated to take you in the direction where your eyes are. That is why for birds, God puts their eyes on the side because most of their lives, they have to watch out for what they want to eat or who wants to eat them. That's what they spend their time doing. But for you, he put the two eyes in front because for most of your life, he wanted to go forward. Just go forward. So he didn't put any of the eyes. There's nothing behind you that sees the back because God is saying to you, forget the things that are behind. So if you keep looking back, you will not go forward. That boyfriend left you. Leave him. The physical pharaoh is gone. Don't carry the mental pharaoh into the wilderness because you won't enter the promised land. Is anybody still with me? So lift up your eyes. You don't have a job, lift up your eyes. You are underemployed, lift up your eyes. They just fired you, lift up your eyes. You just got a job, lift up your eyes. You are trusting God for a new level, lift up your eyes. You have no relationship, lift up your eyes. You're entering a relationship, lift up your eyes. You're engaged, about to be married, lift up your eyes. No matter your level, what should you do? Lift up your eyes. From where you are, lift up your eyes. As far as your eyes can see, and that's what I want to pray for you guys today, that you will see. Oh, I said I pray you will see. You are not too young to see. I pray you will see. I really pray you will see. So then, what does it mean to lift up our eyes? I want to share that with you quickly, then we'll go to wrap up and I'm going to pray for you. Is that all right, people? To lift up your eyes then, it means, number one, to pray. Lift up your eyes from where you are. It means pray. Pray. I will look unto the hills from where comes my help. Psalm 121 verse 1. My help comes from God. Pray. That's what he's saying. Lift up your eyes from where you are. You don't like your situation? Pray. You like your situation? Pray. Lift up your eyes. I don't have a job? Pray. I do have a job? Pray. I've been fired? Pray. I don't have a relationship? Pray. I do have one? Pray. No matter the situation, what should you do? Pray. Lift up my eyes to God from where comes my help. Come on, speak. Keep going. It says, God will not, no, sorry, verse 2. Pardon me, sorry. No, verse, start from verse 1. Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. Verse 2. 
It comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Talking about God. So lift up your eyes means to pray, to ask God to help you, which we're going to do in a few minutes. To lift up your eyes, telling to Abraham, is to do what? To pray. Lord, help me to see my future. You see, don't complicate it. God can be very simple to deal with. Don't let the enemy cheat you. Father, sometimes I pray for myself. Very simple. Father, show me what you want me to do for the next three years of my life. You know, somebody sometimes you say, oh, have a 25-year-old plan. How am I going to have one when I don't have a 25-minute plan? I, I just, Lord, just show me the next steps. Because, you see, listen, Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a light, lamp, to my what? And a light, so light to my path. Long range plan. Lamp to my feet. Short range plan. Day by day. Day. So sometimes when I'm not in a position to see light to my path, all I need is lamp to my feet. I'm okay if I don't have light to my path. As long as I have lamp to my feet. If I'm able to put one foot ahead of the other one, it's only a matter of time before I get to where I'm going. So yes, I might not be able to articulate a five-year, ten-year vision. All I need then is, Lord, what am I doing next? What do you want me to do next? Tomorrow morning, just guide me. Lead me into what I'm doing next. What I'm asking for is a lamp to my feet. Okay? So, prayer. Prayer. Number two, it means to search. Search. To look also means to search. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of king to do what? To search out the matter. You search. So you came out of university, you're in the university, what are you going to do? What are you studying? You're studying um, human biology and um, abstract physics. In U of T, frankly speaking, there is no job called human biology and abstract physics. Except you want to do a master's in that and do a PhD in that and do a postdoctoral fellowship in that, then you can become an expert in human biology and abstract physics, which means only your wife will understand what you're doing. You know, which is great. Which is great. We need you. We need you in society. At least we need some people to say some things. You know, when you come on CNN or they ask you questions and they say something, something, something about glaciers and, you know, the climate change, something, and you can come out and tell us all this and the rest of us can nod and say, yeah, 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 it's true. But we don't understand what you're saying, you know. So, so we, we, need, we need people like that. But the truth is that there's no job like that. So then you go to search. You go to the library. Go pick up books, check things. What career path can I go for? You speak to people. When you speak to people and you're asking questions, asking for mentors, asking for people to give you direction, you know, you are searching. You're searching. You search. What's the first thing? Pray. What's the second thing? Search. You pray and you search. That's what it means to look. Look from where you are. You pray. Then you search. 
Then, finally, number three, it, to look also means to reflect. To reflect. Now, this is where honesty is very important. You reflect to check what are the things in my life that I've done effortlessly before. Ask yourself those questions. What are the things in my life that I do effortlessly? Now, don't attach a monetary value to it yet. Don't say to yourself, oh, no, 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 not that one. That one doesn't bring money. Just write it down. You know, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> Don't monetize it yet. The qu- just answer the question. The question is, what are the things in my life that I do effortlessly? It doesn't say, what are the things you do in your life that you do effortlessly that can bring you money? Don't answer question two. Just answer question one. What are the things you do in your life that you do effortlessly? That's the question. Just answer it. Put it down. So, uh, you can do this. I can do that. This is what I can do. Write it down. Now, write down as many as possible. For some of you, it can be five, six, seven. Some of you, it can be 25. Some of you are a lot more gifted than that. But there's nobody here that will not have at least half a dozen, at least six things that you do effortlessly. Some of the things you do effortlessly, people might have spoken negatively about it. Maybe that's why you're not doing it anymore. Like they told Oprah Winfrey, you talk too much. Which is what, <laughs> what our parents told us, what my parents told me. Do ah, you have to talk all the time? But talking is, <laughs> is what God put inside me. I have to talk. When I don't have anybody to preach to, when I get home, I preach to them. Praise, praise God. My wife says, I'm tired, I'm sleeping. I say, you cannot. You have to hear this sermon. <laughs> so she says, she says, okay, okay. Ah, it's a good sermon. Powerful. I have not started preaching. <laughs> Talking, what is it? You write it down. What are the things that you can do effortlessly? So the first thing is you pray. Second thing you search. And the third thing you do what? You fret. You be honest with yourself. Then if you write it down, let me give you this assignment. You write it down. If you do it first on your own, don't just go home and because you want to be lazy, you go and ask your mom or your dad or your friends, what do you think I do effortlessly? And I will say, ah, I can't think. Oh, let me see. Um... Really, I don't think there's anything you do effortlessly. <laughs> With friends like that, who needs enemies? No. You write it down. The Bible says, let us examine ourselves. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40. Let us examine ourselves. Here he's talking about and turn back to the Lord. But let, let us search out and examine our way. So you are the one to examine yourself. So do that self-reflection. Then when you've done it, you've written down some things. Maybe you write down 10 things. Okay? Maybe you write down 10 things. Without you disclosing to him what you've written down, just tell him, Hi, I'm David. Were you, were you, you were in church on Sunday, right? David said, Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in church. You heard what Pastor said about this whole idea of what you do effortlessly? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like remembered. You remember, right? Then he says he remembers. Then you tell him, uh, you've known me for two years or three years. What are the things you think I do, David? Uh, he said, I don't think, no, no, come on, David, just tell me. What are the things you do? He tells you three or four. You write it down. Then you come to him. You ask him the same question. It takes you two or three. 
you write it down. You go to three people that you know. The three people can involve your family members. Okay? Write down. Cross-check the list together. Are you following now? Come on, is anybody following what I'm saying? Do you understand? Check the list together. You said this about me. She said this about me. She's my sister. He said this about me. He's my friend. I put all of this together. Okay? <laughs> I was just thinking that as a father, if I was to do this with my family, say, what do you think you think, guys, I do, I do effortlessly. I know my daughters will say to me, you know, one thing you do effortlessly is that you get me to buy gas into your car all the time. That's effortless. <laughs> Praise God. You have a way of just getting me to buy gas into your car all the time. Well, praise God. <laughs> so, you know, you know, what are the things you do effortlessly? So, uh, when you said three, three, you said three, and look at it together, and I wrote a list of six. What part of the nine things all together you've written corresponds with my own? Pay attention to that thing. It might not be it on its own, but it might be God using it to signify something else in the future. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? About your life and about what you want you to do in the future. What you're passionate about. What you like doing. So, to lift up your eyes means, number one, pray. Number two, and number three, reflect. Pray, search, reflect. Pray, search, reflect. Come on, one more time. Pray, Search. That's what I want you to do. We look up to Abraham. You pray, you search, you reflect. You pray, you search, you reflect. Pray, you search, you reflect. One more time. You pray, you search, you reflect. Stand on your feet like a champion. <laughs>